Well, if you've ever taken a young child to an amusement park, or really anywhere in public, you know the challenge and the stress of trying to keep track of them. The crowds, the distractions, the curious and fearless child unaware of all the dangers of the world. The constant tugging on your arm and your hand as they want to show you one more thing to explore. And over the years, one of the solutions that parents have turned to is called a child leash. One end of it goes around the chest or wrist of a child and the other is held securely in the hand of the parent or adult. Now I remember years ago declaring I would never put a leash on a child. And that opinion came from vast knowledge and experience as someone with no children. (laughs) But then our niece Morgan arrived into the world. Now, her older brother, Blake, did not run away from us very often, but Morgan was an independent spirit from the very beginning. She loved to explore, and amusement parks and zoos were a nightmare, honestly. She wanted her freedom. She wanted to go and do what she wanted to do, and you know what? She was only two. And so, our family did what we said we'd never do, and we bought a child leash. Well, Morgan hated it at first. And this photo was taken moments after we first put it on her at Silver Dollar City. And she had a major meltdown. And when that didn't work, she tried to use her cuteness. Look at that photo. Yes, I know. Almost broke us. But not one parent, aunt, or grandparent caved to this cuteness. We held our ground because we loved her and we didn't want her to become separated from us. And yet we wanted her to have some freedom to explore as two-year-olds are designed to do. So after a few brief moments of tears, Morgan eventually forgot about the leash around her and had a grand time realizing that she no longer had to hold anyone's hands as she explored the area. She could explore with freedom as she was designed to do, and there were no more tears that day. Well, none about the leash. There were more tears about other things. I was thinking this week about all the ways that we try and avoid separation. You know, if you were here two or three weeks ago for vacation Bible camp, you would have seen children walking through the hallways, a hand on a jump rope held by their leader to make sure they navigated and didn't get lost in the building. When we go to venues and concerts where there's big crowds with family and friends, we often go in in a line holding the shirt of the person in front of us to make sure we're not separated. In June, when my nephew and I were in Italy, we did a lot of tours, of very crowded tours. The worst was the Vatican, where a few thousand people joined us for an intimate tour of the Vatican Museum and the Sistine Chapel. And when you met your small group, there's usually a tour guide and they had a long pole and on top was some flag or some item to make sure that you knew where your group leader was at all times. And our group leader had a big sunflower on hers. And as we went into the Vatican Museum and the crowds merged and pushed and you got separated somewhat, we looked up for that sunflower to ensure that we were never truly lost. We fight separation in so many different ways. Not just physical separation, but relationally, 
emotionally, socially. We don't want to be separated, and yet at the very heart of what it means to be human is separation. We leave our childhood and move on to adulthood eventually. Some of you are experiencing physical separation from a son or daughter for the very first time as you drop them off to school. And some of you have had physical separation for a long time as your family lives across the country or even around the world. And almost all of us can speak to the pain of separation that death brings to our lives. Separation is hard. And we carry this fear of being separated in our lives. And so we do anything to make sure that we're tethered to something, someone, because we don't like the feeling of being separated. I've had more than one conversation with people going through a really difficult or hard time in life who are asking this question, why is God punishing me? And behind that question is this belief that because of something they've done, whether they know it or don't know it, God is withholding love, that they are separated from God in some way, and that is why they are enduring suffering. And the Roman Christians were no different. They shared this fear and wonder as they were dealing with sufferings and trials. Has God forgotten us? Is God punishing us? Are we separated from God's love? And so Paul addresses this fear of separation in our text today. In Romans 8 and verse 35, Paul writes, who, will, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Followed by this list of potential candidates, will affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? Now some of us are so familiar with this passage, because Romans 8 is quite familiar to us, that we blow through these ideas, these, these candidates, but for Paul's audience, the ones he was writing to, these were very real threats and dangers. And so perhaps to awaken us a little bit to it, we should put our own list of potential threats and worries and candidates together that resonate with our fears. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will economic uncertainty, cancer, political division, racism, Dementia, unemployment, violence, mental illness, grief, terrorism, natural disasters, death itself. See, we're acknowledging that all these things do exist. Paul says they do exist, but none of them will ever separate you from the love of God. And none of them will overcome you. When Paul says in verse 37, in all these things, he's describing all the things in life, the realities that threaten us, that enter our lives and make us unhappy or make it difficult or dicey. And when Paul says that we are more than victorious, that we are more than conquerors over all these things, he's not saying that these difficulties will never come our way in the first place if we just have enough faith. Paul is saying that we are not victors over these things, but rather we will be victorious in these things. We do not lead victorious lives because we're saved from all the bad and the harm in life, but rather, like Jesus himself, we find victory amid life's difficulties. Now, Paul, like me, is a list lover, and so he makes a second list 
in this letter, this chapter. In verse 39, he begins another list of potential threats which all imply some kind of dimension beyond our earthly reality. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. None of these things, no matter how powerful or supernatural they appear, none of these things can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The self-giving work of Jesus the Christ has overcome the power of evil in all the ways that it shows up in our lives and in our world. I want you to imagine a, a long line of people coming up to Paul with questions, awaiting Paul's answer. A woman whose body's riddled with cancer comes up to Paul and says, does my cancer separate me from the love of God? And Paul says, no. It does not. And a man bound in a wheelchair comes up to Paul and says, does my disability separate me from the love of God? Paul says, no, it doesn't. And then a man who has clinical depression, who realizes medication will be a part of his life, says, does my depression separate me from the love of God? Paul says, no, not at all. A just widowed woman her body overcome with grief, says, does my separation from my husband and from me, does that separate me from the love of God? No, Paul says, not at all. And a woman trapped in addiction walks up, head downcast, and says, does my sin, my shame, my addiction, does it separate me from the love of God? And Paul says, no, it does not. And then Paul steps back, looking at the long line of people waiting with their questions, says, listen, everyone, listen. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. No circumstance, no person, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And to you this morning who says, well, I don't believe in God, that's covered too. Nothing, even your lack of faith in God, can separate you from the love of God. God loves you. You don't have a choice in it. You have to just deal with it. Do you think, friends, that if a God who loves us enough to send God's Son into the mess of this world, to suffer in such a, an extreme demonstration of divine love for us, do you think that God would withhold love from us for any reason? There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that will separate us from the love of God. And as unworthy and deeply grateful recipients of this radically generous gift of love, can we do anything but be also radically generous in love with others? In 2020, Father Michael Renninger of Richmond, Virginia, told a story about one of his members of his church named Thelma. Thelma walked into his cathedral in June of 1969, and she took a moment to look around at this beautiful cathedral she'd never been inside before. And then she sat down in one of the pews. And there was a family at the other end of the pew, and so she had plenty of room to sit on the pew by the aisle and have a seat for worship. 
But the family got up and they moved to another section in the cathedral. Well, the same thing happened the next week. She sat down and an elderly gentleman got up and moved to another part of the cathedral. What was the problem? Well, the problem was that Thelma was a black Catholic woman. And in that time, there was a lot of issues and segregation in churches. Catholic churches in Virginia were all segregated, meaning blacks went to one church, whites went to another church. And that was very common in southern churches as well in that time. And around that time, the late 1950s, the bishop there in Richmond, Virginia, said that segregation was a violation of the gospel. And so the bishop decided to integrate the churches there in that area by closing the African-American parishes and telling the people to go to the larger parishes that were predominantly white. Now, the goal of integration was a good one, but there was a lot of pain, especially in those smaller congregations that were closed. And that's how Thelma found herself in this new cathedral in June of 1969. And that's where she was reminded that people who shared the same faith didn't see past the color of her skin. But she kept going to Mass, and people kept moving out of the pew. But Thelma made a decision to stay at that cathedral because she said that no matter how people treated her, she felt at home there when she walked forward to receive communion. And she prayed, and as she prayed, she knew that the truth of what Paul said in his letter to the Romans was true for her, that no one and nothing could separate her from the love of God in Christ Jesus. By the 1990s, Thelma and her husband had become beloved members of that cathedral. Times had changed, so had some attitudes. And she realized it was one Sunday that there was a man sitting next to her in the pew, and it was one of the men who got up and moved from that pew in those early years. Thelma asked him what had brought about the change in him, and this is what he said to her. I just look at the line of people who come forward for communion week after week. I look at their faces. I've been a member of this church for a long time, so I know that some of the people who come forward for communion are really good and holy people, and others are small-minded and angry. I know that some of them have cheated on their spouses. Some cheat on their taxes or are crooked in their business. Some are white. Some are black, some are Asian, some are old, some are young. And he said, it dawned on me that no matter how different we are, it is the exact same Lord Jesus who has called us here. It is the exact same Lord Jesus whose gospel we listen to. It is the exact same Lord Jesus who invites us to eat and drink in memory of him. And it's true, no matter what we look like. And the man smiled at Thelma and said, I've spent most of my life judging people who are different. Apparently, the Lord loves each of us with the same powerful love. And you, Thelma, helped me to see that. In so many ways, Thelma's society had been telling her she was not a person of dignity or value because she was different. 
She had been told repeatedly that her life was not to be valued in the same way that her neighbor's life was to be valued, that her mere presence was a problem, that God somehow made her inferior to others. But Thelma understood who she was in the eyes of God, even when the eyes of her neighbors were blinded by racism. And she understood that Paul was speaking directly to her when he said, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not death, nor life, nor rulers, nor present things or things to come, neither segregation policies, nor long-held hatreds, not injustice, not the closing of a church or people who move to a new pew. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. Someone asked me just this week what it's like to stand up here during communion and to look out at you all. And I said, well, there's a lot of different emotions and thoughts going on, but usually there's two primary ones. And the first one is how much I love you and how precious you are to me. And the second thought is about how this meal that we share together is the great equalizer. We are a church of many different people, different experiences, different hardships, different opinions, different politics, different incomes. But at the meal, we are shoulder to shoulder, beggars at God's table together. And that is a beautiful sight for one to see who is also right there at the table with you, begging for God's love and mercy. In our text today, Paul is speaking to us today to remind us there is nothing, nothing that can separate you, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And may we believe and trust that this is true for us. And may we believe and live as if this is true for everyone we meet, because it is true. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious and generous God, Scripture tells us that in our weakness, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And how comforting it is to know that even in our moments, God of confusion and weakness, you understand the deepest longings of our hearts. Lord, we take comfort in the assurance that nothing in this world can separate us from your love. Troubles may overwhelm us, trials may test us, and sufferings may attempt to draw us away from you, but none of these can separate us from your steadfast love. God, help us to hold fast to this promise when the brokenness around us overwhelms us, when the brokenness within us overwhelms us. Strengthen our faith so that we may stand firm in the knowledge and truth that you are with us always, guiding us through every challenge and celebrating with us in every joy. May your love inspire us to love one another as you have loved us. May we be living witnesses of your grace and compassion, sharing the message of your extravagant, generous love with a world that so desperately needs to be connected and to know that they're loved. God, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, 
who demonstrated for us the depth of your love through the cross. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.